Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I mean, looking back on it, we can we can speak to it this way. But at the time, it's like, oh, you're playing video games. Or you're watching cartoons. Like, go get a job or go mow the lawn or like whatever adults around us might think with that. But it's like, mm-hmm. no, you don't understand. I'm kind of saving myself right now. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a chrysalis almost. Yeah, totally. Right. And we whip that ponytail straight out. (laughs) (laughs) Fully emerged. Yes. From menopause to butterfree. Trevor Campbell, and this is You Made Me Queer, the show where queer people dial your number, then press one, then press three, then wait for an available agent while listening to 45 minutes of Chopin Etudes to let the man have it. And yes, I hope this call is recorded for quality control purposes, kiddo. That's right. Every episode, I invite a fantastic 2S LGBTQIA plus guest to point the finger of blame at who and or what made them queer. First, some news you may have seen on Insta. Do you follow us? It's at You Made Me Queer. We're also at You Made Me Queer on Twitter. We have a YouTube show now that has been running for two weeks. It is called This Week Made Me Queer. It is a tight five. That's a comedy term. Tight five. five Five-ish or so minutes of the week's weirdest and queerest news. Think of it as kind of a loose cross- between SNL's Weekend Update, Pee-wee's Playhouse, and a 30-something punk with a shiny head learning how to use a green screen. It's truly all of these things and more. Head over to YouTube. You can search You Made Me Queer TV, and the rest is up to you. Find the videos or not, and God bless you. Also, I have been watching Squid Game. Uh, this is not a show that I make and produce in front of a green screen. It is a Korean uh, dystopian sci-fi mindfuck, one might say. Uh, Squid Game. Confusing name, even with the explanation. They start the show with an explanation. As the explanation ends, I still have questions. I'm a little confused. However, then we jump into a brightly colored dystopian metaphor for how participation in late-stage capitalism makes everyone a loser. And that's a message I can get behind and root for, despite uh, some pretty over-the-top, horrifying thought experiments and violence. Does everyone have great bangs? For the most part, absolutely. Do they wear uh, progressive tracksuits? I would say yes. Are they culty? Possibly. Can cults also be progressive? I like to think so. And so does Jim Jones. Wow, it's 
I don't know. Is a Jonestown reference too soon? I'm fascinated by cults, not because of the the mayhem and the carnage, but because of how easy it is to think you're doing the right thing while you're doing the wrong thing is my review of Squid Game. <laughs> Listen, people make tough calls. If there's one thing we've learned through the past two or so years, you get stuck in an echo chamber of your own mind and the the loudest voice ringing out is the one you follow. Have I gone completely insane? Is this going to be played at both my funeral and my inquest? And possibly a trial where I'll be tried posthumously for uh, wasting your time. All these things have yet to be determined, but none of them matter right now because what matters is my guest. I have a very, very special guest today, so let's get to it. My guest is Joshua Whitehead. Have you heard of Joshua Whitehead? You may have through one of the many books he's published, through his absolutely lit Instagram account, through many of the things he's done. So let's learn more about Joshua Whitehead. Joshua is a two-spirit Nehia member of the Peguis First Nation Treaty 1. He is currently a PhD candidate, lecturer, and Kalam scholar. Kalam, is that how we say that? At the University of Calgary, where he studies indigenous literatures and cultures with a focus on gender and sexuality. All very important things, but you may know him as the author of Full Metal and Digiqueer, which was shortlisted for the inaugural Indigenous Voices Award and the Stephen G. Stephenson Award for Poetry. He's also the author of a very well-known book called Johnny Appleseed from Arsenal Pulp Press, long-listed for the Giller Prize, shortlisted for the Indigenous Voices Award, the Governor General's Literary Award, no big deal, the Amazon Canada First Novel Award, the Carol Shields Winnipeg Book Award, and won the Lambda Literary Award for Gay Fiction, and the Georges Bounier Award for Fiction, one might say. Whitehead is currently working on a third manuscript titled Making Love with the Land to be published with Knopf Canada which explores the intersections of indigeneity, queerness, and most prominently, mental health through a Nehia lens. Mental health? What's that? I haven't heard anyone talk about that or its importance in a while. Just kidding, as you may have guessed from my intro. Joshua also edited Love After the End, colon, Two Spirit Utopias and Dystopias. His work is published all over the place. You can find it anywhere. I also discovered that, like me, Joshua is a big ol' nerd and gamer. I hope he doesn't mind me calling him a nerd. He self-identified as a nerd. Uh, and gamer, G-A-Y-mer, gamer. Listen, I chose electronics instead of friends in elementary school moving forward. And honestly, I regret nothing. And if anything, time has shown both of us that we made the right decision. But you can find it that for yourself and more in this conversation. Joshua is generous. He is very present. He is funny. He is fabulous. He is very fashionable. I'm alliterative and this is a podcast. So let's get into it. Please enjoy my conversation with Neopets parent, Joshua Whitehead. You made me queer. 
I'm happy to join. After everything, I was like, I think some queer joy is totally needed. So I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> I'm so happy you're here. Yes, this is all about queer joy. There are not going to be any curveball questions. <laughs> uh, also, I want to, uh, or at least address this situation. I was going to say apologize, but no, no one needs to apologize for anything. This is about queer joy. So this is a podcast, so people cannot see this, but I am in a space right now. It looks like Josh and I are at a slumber party. <laughs> and basically, I've made some kind of couch for it. <laughs> and there's like, a I was gonna say, yeah, yeah, yeah please go on. How, how do you see this? What was your interpretation? <laughs> I mean, this is just like full retro nostalgia. And we're like 12 year old boys staying up to like midnight to play video games eating Cheetos. And we built this like bomb, like pillow fort. And I'm here for it. I mean, that sounds great. I should have led with confidence and said, I came to you with an apology. It <laughs> <laughs> was my mistake. Well, we are queer, right? I know, I know. It's queer and Canadian. It's baked in. It's true. How do we get out of it? Because I have just moved and I had this great recording space in my old apartment, but I'm still kind of figuring things out. So I'm in the quietest corner of my home. <laughs> Soundproof, I can see. I know it's great. You know what? It's fine. Listen, as I've said multiple times on this podcast, I'm not a sound engineer. <laughs> you are not a Zoom engineer. These are jobs we've had to take on. Exactly. I've been like forced to be like a tech professional as a writer. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> Honestly, right? What's the weirdest sort of auxiliary skill you picked up as a result of the things you have to do now? I mean, like I, my whole setup right now, there's like ring light. I feel like a Kardashian, like just ring lights. <laughs> you look like a Kardashian. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe more Ariana Grande with a high pony. But <laughs> uh, and then just like buying all this tech equipment. Like I bought this fancy like speaker, which just never, it didn't work as well as the AirPods. Uh, so like in the beginning, I just went all out with the last bit of research funds I had and like bought the AirPod Pro. Yeah. speaker ring lights and i use them quite a bit but i'm like i just prefer the old-fashioned one just with the airpod and let's go i know keep it simple right it's gonna be like how so many people adopted pets during covid and then i've read reports of people not wanting these animals anymore and there's going to be such a surplus of pets it's going to be the same thing for ring lights <laughs> which is true <laughs> i also got a, a pandemic pet um, but i'm very happy to keep him so he's a german shepherd he's 11 months now oh cute and his name is chief so chief <laughs> will chief pop into the frame potentially oh no like once that door's closed he's like that was i'm working to feed him his fancy bougie treats so <laughs> sounds real nice I've thought about doing that. In the place I was before, I was not allowed to get a dog. My landlord prohibited it. Even though in the Landlord-Tenant Act, they can't bar you, at least in Ontario, they can't bar you from that. Oh, really? Allegedly. Okay. I mean, I'm <laughs> certainly, I'm already stepping outside of my zone of expertise, which is very small. Anyway, now I live somewhere else, as we've already talked about. Maybe now is the time for a dog. I could be. It could be. I also just moved. I still got this full house. Nice. Um, here in Calgary, which thankfully the rent inflation is not as high as Toronto or Vancouver. Yeah. So I'm happy to have a full place. And I was like, well, I, have a full. I was living with this little pup who was growing like a weed. When he was just a pup, when I just got him, he could like like fit on like the bosom of my chest. <laughs> and then it was like a month later, he became this mini horse. And then I was basically living with like secretariats in a small condo <laughs> so i moved here and we have a backyard and he lives his best life here now you could just saddle him up if you want and just uh, trot around exactly i was a quick jaunt to get some cigarettes at the corner store you know <laughs> that's so nice i'm glad you have more space i'm glad you live in a city that has somewhat palatable
palatable rent. I mean, palatable rent, but we also interchange that for Jason Kenney and the highest COVID rates in Canada, North America, I think, right now. So it's it's a hard time. We're not through the bottleneck yet. No. So you, you win some, you lose a lot more. But. <laughs> I mean, listen, but you've got that. You already self-described as Ariana Grande. So I think you're winning. <laughs> exactly. I did play the Fortnite to watch her performance as well. So Okay. So for people who don't understand exactly what this is about, including me, I read a few news articles about this. And I remember reading the headline and being like, this is what it feels like to age out of civilization. (laughs) Where it was like Ariana Grande is performing a concert in a video game called Fortnite. Exactly, yeah. So this was like an avatar, Ariana? It was. She was doing this live performance to this avatar, which looked fabulous. Yes. Um, And then I had to like borrow a login from my cousins. Like, I don't play this game. Like, I'm not a shooter type of person. Yeah. Uh, But I want to watch this concert. Like, here's 15 bucks. Let me log in for an hour. The concert was like 15, 20 minutes. But it was visually stunning. Yeah. Like, what was it? Can <laughs> I mean we really do not have to go into detail about this, but I'm very curious. <laughs> so it was it wasn't just like Ariana on a stage. Was there some sort of pageantry to it? So it's like full interactivity, like falling through the sky and the things are like blowing up and like glitter. And we get like this large avatar of Ariana. It's probably like Blade Runner almost. Yes. Like this large avatar of Ariana. And then you can like move through, so it's like full 360. So you can like see the entire like the, I guess the panorama of it all. Yeah. And it kind of reminded me, I don't know if you watched it but Billie Eilish also did a kind of online COVID concert mm-hmm. which was amazing to me so it was very like that vibe that sounds so cool and I think about me like when I was a teenager I was a big Spice Girls fan Oof. I know that dates me in a way I'm very proud of <laughs> did the Spice Girls speak to you at all oh yeah like the only thing that rhymed with Josh was posh so I was known <laughs> as posh spice by my yes. family <laughs> I mean, she's fancy and I was like I will take Victoria exactly exactly Yes. And she's, uh, she's held on. I feel like she's held on to, I don't know. She's got something going for her. I mean, she may not be the best singer. She may not be a seamstress or a dancer, <laughs> um, but she, uh, she's her face and I'm here for that. <laughs> Listen, that's right. You, you stay in your lane, know your lane and work it. But yes, but I'm, I'm all here for it. I think Billie Eilish did some cool things with tech. We're doing, I mean, not to toot our own horns, but right now what we're doing with tech, with ring lights, with AirPods, the future is now. <laughs> I mean, if only you could see these visuals, people. Uh, like, speaking of, like, fun purchases, too. So I just bought an Oculus Quest. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's like a VR headset. Yeah, it's fully wireless. And so I've been having fun, speaking of Billie Eilish, because they have this game, like, Beat Saber. We get, like, lightsabers, and you have to, like, mash the beats and cut these boxes. Oh, cool. And they have this, like, full Billie Eilish playlist that you can go through. What? I've been really, really enjoying that. I like that. I mean, at a certain time, that would be seen as lowbrow for an artist, an artiste to appear in a video game. And I like that we, of all the wrong directions we're going in, we're losing some of that poshness, I guess, to use that. I mean, it's like, it's cool. It's punk. Oh, for sure. Like, I grew up, like, in Winnipeg. And I remember, like, just as I was starting to become a writer, I would, like, you know, take these creative writing classes in the university. Um, (laughs) And then at night, we'd, like, go out into Winnipeg and this street called Osborne and they have it was like 
all these anarchists and rappers and jazz musicians and poets and writers and artists of all types. And, you know, you would just like sling beers at this place called The Toad, which had <laughs> um, underneath is called The Cavern. They would have like live punk music. Cool. And then you would go to these venues and like do these amazing improvs. Uh, so I would be like kind of improvising alongside like amazing saxophonists um, and spoken word artists and rappers. And, and so that was like my tutelage as a writer. So I'm like very down to like melt, like kind of remove L from a capital L literature, also yes. kind of remove the, the highbrow from art yeah. and make it grungy and make it dirty, intersectional like that. Like that to me is like a pure form of what we call quote unquote art than yes. like the high echelons of the posh spice maybe. Yeah, use the tool. I mean, that's how we've always made art. You use the tools you have. And nowadays, a lot of those tools are PlayStation 4s or what have you. Exactly, exactly. So maybe I would that- love to be in a VR game one day. We'll see. Oh, maybe that's a good segue because you talked about underground culture. You talked about subversive messages and going against sort of the mainstream narrative. And when you and I were growing up, there was a lot of confusion in the mainstream narrative about what could make you queer. So yes, we heard things we had to be careful. Maybe if you chewed the wrong flavor of gum or, you know, if you had a mittens and you didn't secure them with those little strings so you could just lose one and not the other. It was like putting a red bandana in your back pocket though, those days with those mittens. <laughs> That's right. It's like the mitten signals. You never knew what message you were sending out. And now as adults, we know that almost everything can make you queer when you know something certainly was in the water for us so that's why i called you here today josh because i want to you know as an adult who can afford their own ring light their own oculus has some clout to finally stand up on that pulpit so to speak I'm, i'm using legal terms i barely understand the dais let's say the dais and point the finger of blame once and for all joshua whitehead who and or what made you queer <laughs> i mean like let me get the rolodex like how much time do we have um get comfortable so like speaking of like what made you queer as we were kids like do you remember that psa um it was like an anti-smoking ad and there was like these two high school boys who were like getting really close because they're trying to steal a cigarette and they go in the bathroom and the, the final ad of this psa would be like smoking makes you gay um, Are you serious? <laughs> I remember, yeah, you can totally check us out on YouTube. Canada had wild PSAs back in the day. They were super like homophobic, femphobic, transphobic. Uh, so they're all available on YouTube. I highly suggest watching this. It makes me laugh every time because I am a smoker now. So. <laughs> right. So what decade was that from? I'm thinking this was like late 90s, early 2000s. Oh my God. Yeah, it was wild times. Like another one that's really popular was like, what's your thing? My thing sound effects. <laughs> so I just love to watch those from time to time. Maybe it was the commercials that made me queer. Uh, Maybe. And funnily <laughs> enough, we do know now that smoking does, in fact, make you queer. I mean, a smoking circle is the queerest place of any space. So, <laughs> Ooh, yeah, get close, boys. <laughs> I have to lie, it wasn't those commercials. <laughs> I would say that there's two main things. So, I, I grew up as, like, as this very, what we might call uh, in my previous indigenous nerd, mm. which is just an amalgamation of indigenous and nerd, which fits really kind of uh, beautifully with our, like, kind of amalgamation of indigenous queer right now. Mm-hmm. But, when I have to, when I think back, it's like, I think first and foremost, it was probably like my obsession with RPGs, role-playing games, and Final Fantasy VII, I would say, was okay. one of the games that made me like hella queer, which like speaking of anarchy um, and like queer communism, it's about this group called Avalanche, run by this like really blonde Twinkie boy named Cloud Strife, who I was obsessed with. Let me just, before you dive in, let me just know, I am here for this. I played this game. <laughs> I know all these references. Yeah. So take me there. Yeah. So you play as 
this like rebellious group, Avalanche, which is run by this main character, Cloud, and several others who are just trying to overthrow this main kind of world-destroying, ecological destructive um, energy extraction company called Shinra. And that's basically the premise of the game. There's other things you learn. There's like super soldiers made through like bio-warfare and bioengineering. But the game itself, just like I was obsessed with, I played it multiple times and it takes like 120 hours to beat. It's really long. So long. Yeah, especially to play as a teenager. Oh, for sure. And this is like pre-Harry Potter days. Like now maybe it's more normal for a teenager or a tween to do something for that long. But at that time, like, that's a big commitment. <laughs> it was a big commitment. <laughs> and I just remember, so it also just got remade, which I just played. <gasps> I haven't played it yet. Oh, get ready. <laughs> it is so beautiful. Oh. And it's very nostalgic if you have played the original. Mm-hmm. But the original, you, you go to this place in the middle of the slums um, of this place they all live in called Midgar. And you have to go to this place called the Wall Market, which is like this kind of street vendory, but it's also like pro-sex work there's queer folks and butch and fam people everywhere uh and it's run kind of by this person who runs this kind of brothel basically so to me it was like very dolly Parton, like best little whorehouse in texas meets like basically like blade or like again like blade runner it was very cyberpunk yeah it's like kind of musical elements Mm -hmm. and you have to like collect all these things to make the main character cloud who's like this buff dude but very twinky, but like has these large arms for some reason. Yeah. Um, so like, I guess like, you no know, spot focusing. Yeah, 100%. And I do want to say to paint the picture uh, of Cloud. So like has this huge sword, kind of like baggy um, left eye TLC cargo pants. And then a bit of like hunting armor, but also underneath a very uh, conservative turtleneck sweater from Talbot's kind of thing. Like the kind of thing your supply teacher might buy at the mall. But sleeveless, so shows off those guns mm-hmm. and was like very pretty. Like oh, the overwhelming attribute, I would say, was like prettiness to this male coded character. Were you Cloud Strike stylist? Because you just like picked out exactly where to get all those items. <laughs> I mean, I, apparently I played that game for all 120 hours because it had a bit of a weird polygon-based crush. And and this is like, these are retro games where like, you know, people are caught now in video games. But at the time you had to do a lot of imagining. Oh yeah. And there was no voice acting in those days, kids. Yeah. So you had to like read like hours and hours of dialogue. Yeah. So I attribute a lot, a lot of that to like my dialogue these days as a writer. Yes. I loved Cloud. And so you have to go to this place, the wall market, and you have to collect all these items because you have to put Cloud in drag. And dependent upon like what items you get and what affiliations you make with the characters, there's three tiers of what you can dress up as. And uh, the other two female characters, Aerith and Tifa, who are also with you, you're all trying to dress up to go into this brothel to confront the person who runs it. And I... I enjoyed that so much. You get to like go to this gym with this like kind of like stone butch woman who runs it and like do squats and chin ups and all this and then do all these little side quests. But I just like remember being this like young teen um, being like, I am like living yeah. for putting this like macho man into this like high femme drag. Yeah, it's interesting too because the game, so much of the game, it's like uh, it's an adventure game, but you're fighting a lot. There's a lot of combat. It's very very brutalist and then there's a lot of it's like you said it's very camp but also like and this is something because i haven't played the new one the old one 
I remember the maybe when Cloud finally comes out in drag or sort of a different presentation, they're sort of, it's a bit of a joke in a way. Mm-hmm. But I've heard that in the new one, it's really quite supportive and sort of, I mean, however you read it, trans affirming or, or drag affirming or what was your take? I mean, the old one was definitely at that time, I was just like, this is queer. It's the first time I'm seeing something like this yeah. uh, outside of like staying up late to watch like queers folk. Um, <laughs> but I got to participate because I was like the person controlling the avatar, right? Which yeah. is like so interesting to me about video games is that I like literature too, but video games more specifically because it calls for your active participation. So you are also in a semblance. This is again the days of polygon gaming, but it's also like virtual reality. Like your your entire consciousness is like input into this mute character mm-hmm. who just has boxes for dialogue. So to me, like that was a huge re- like revelation for me to be like, okay, like I like this. Probably explains a lot about me now. <laughs> You've seen my Instagram; it's quite a bit of glam. Yes, you know, but I keep like the kind of you know male tributaries, like the mustache and the beard. <laughs> but the new game, like so, like the one that just came out, I think a year ago, not even, mm-hmm. is like completely different. And this is where I'm like, it's also more like very Dolly Parton because there's a whole musical montage that happens. Yeah, with this like queer run honeybee in, and they're all dressed in these honeybee outfits. It's very like showgirls, very best little whorehouse. And it's like a five-minute musical montage where you put Cloud in this drag, and he's like hit on by like AFAB um, people and men, like cisgendered and queer folks. Mm-hmm. So it's like really fun, and I think you can even, if you want, folks want to YouTube it, you can watch the little kind of montage of putting him in the drag, and there's like makeup and wigs, and the dress is there, and everyone's applauding, and then you kind of go out into the streets, and you can kind of hear the babble of everyone around you, and you're like kind of getting hit on and catcalled. So it's so, it's like, I mean, maybe not the catcalls, or well, maybe, but it's everyone is responding in a way where they're like, I want what you got. You presented that way, I want it. Basically, yeah, exactly. But it's not about the main character himself, it's about the kind of this, the, the, this quote-unquote slum space that they space that they've created which is the wall market and the honeybee and primarily uh there's also kind of this massage parlor like semi-glory <laughs> hole moment Ooh. and it's very very queer nowadays um so i very much enjoyed the glow up of final fantasy 7 100 and at the time like how old were you when you played this for the first time i'm gonna think like 10 or 11 okay so pretty maybe young. blossoming into 12 yeah so a sort of an interesting sexual awakening time did this, were you cognizant of why you were so excited or interested in this sequence? I mean, at the time, I was like deluding myself that I was like in love with Tifa and Era. Okay. Yeah. Or like the two main female protagonists. Mm-hmm. But I think at the time, I did have some type of, I wouldn't say I was like, oh, I like this because it's self affirming for me as like a femme, you know, uh, assigned male at birth person. Mm-hmm. But I was drawn to it continually. So I played it in those ages. And like, I think I played like every year. And I would like tell people like, 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 I can't beat this segment. So I'm like, I'll come over and help you. <laughs> I'm the master of that part. I'm like, I have it. <laughs> like, is he, you know, and so. So I return to it often, specifically in like those formational years, like when you're just like hitting puberty and like moving through it. And, but my, my town was like very like anti-queer, like anti-gay at the, mo- at the time. It was like very taboo in my small town of Manitoba mm-hmm. to be like out and about, or, like basically out and, or like queer presenting in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. So my kind of, I would say my refuge or my safeguard would be like video games. Yeah. And so I'd be like, you know, try to like pass a straight and like mask and butch 
in the spaces of the town and then just kind of come home into my basement and like play these video games and just like transport myself into this like holy queer embodiment. So I I realized that I was like, I'm attracted to this, mm-hmm. but I'm only attracted to it because it's like quote unquote different, right? I see. But I, I think just child Josh knew that there was something in that that was drawing me continually to return, return and return again. Right. And it's funny too, because it's maybe it's an adult idea that we have to put a name to that or that we have to like speak a narrative around it. Whereas just like doing it, I mean, maybe that's all you needed. I think so. Yeah. It was very like, for me, formational, I would Mm say, um, to like have Cloud. But then there's also other characters, like there's like this goth character, Vincent, who's like a gunslinger. And like kind of like Bram Stoker's Dracula meets like Interview with a Vampire and also like long, beautiful hair and like really long eyelashes. Like what mascara were you using? (laughs) Yeah, give me your beauty secrets. (laughs) (laughs) Who like I was also obsessed with too. And then also just amazing where I was not the best, but at that time, representation of like blackness, you have like Barrett. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, I was also really drawn to like Red 13, who is this kind of creation made by these kind of scientists who work for Shinra, but is like also very often from the land. So like I was also really attracted to like not not like physically or sexually, but to I was like drawn to this character of Red 13. Mm. Because for me, that was like also indigenous representation. And so was Aerith because she comes from these people called the ancients. Yeah. So like as an indigenous queer person, now looking back, I'm like, oh, there was, I was kind of getting tiny semblances of everything I needed in that moment. Yeah, there was like a, a lot. And it's interesting, those stories, I mean, the lion's share of those games were made in Japan. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, uh, sort of, I guess you could say naturalized for a North American audience or a Western audience. So yeah, it was something we weren't being served up at the time by, I don't know what the equivalent children's entertainment would be, Disney or other things like that, where you have these inflated archetypes. But the ones in video games, because I was a big nerdy gamer too, who played all those games, they were the way they punked prettiness versus handsomeness or like strength and these like very mythic lore. Yeah, like the way they spoke about the environment or landscapes and it was all very integral in a way that I don't think we were exposed to otherwise at that age, or at least I wasn't. Yeah, I I would agree too. Like I don't want to like exoticize Orientalism or like Japan as having the aesthetic that I drew was drawn to. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting, like, so my first book, Full Metal and Digiqueer, is taken from this book called Full Metal Apocalypse. Um, which talks about you know these kind of orphan kids after World War II in Japan who basically became scrapyard kids and were became so obsessed with like Western cinema, quote unquote Western North American cinema, mm-hmm. and were like really drawn to Westerns and identified with like the quote unquote like you know the Clint Eastwood Indians, mm-hmm. um, like this, this, this stoic people riding horses and coming over and like sometimes succeeding, mostly failing in Western films, but like really drawn. So like they started calling themselves Full Metal Apache. And it's interesting for me now as both a queer person, an indigenous person and an academic mm-hmm. to like realize like that transfusion, because I feel like I also had very similar experience as a kid, obviously not from you know, a post-war torn country, um, but also someone living under active colonialism to also be drawing my identity, not from, you know, Canadian or American sources, but from Japanese. Mm -hmm. So I would say like Final Fantasy VII video games from that era 
And then also like the Ghibli films, like Princess Mononoke, like Prince Ashitaka, well, sure. uh, and his little loincloth will sure, like always I mean. be a thing for me. And it's funny because they all revolve around like environmental degradation yeah. and imperialism and these kind of very strong colonial forces, which enforce things like heteropatriarchy and capitalism and all that. So I was, I loved, 100%. I loved all those types of things I ingested. Which is really interesting because in Japan, and I actually, I lived in Tokyo for four years. So I have a specific relationship to Japan, but those themes, because they different from North America or maybe Europe, they dealt with them in, you know, imperialism, certainly in environmental degradation, which is very present in Japan right now with plants in Fukushima and things like that and, and being a small contained space. And it's so fascinating how through a video game or through a cartoon, some of those values or those ideas can feel so familiar to a kid. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I didn't have the language to be like, I'm queer, mm-hmm. or also like, I'm like actively being crushed under the, the weight and the, the machines of settler colonialism. But I recognized it. Yes. I rec- yeah. So that is interesting. I never thought about that. And it's weird because we weren't, I mean, we're, we're talking about it in a maybe slightly more transparent way now, but in the 80s or the 90s, we were doing a much worse job. And so we had to look to like high fantasy to see the mirror of like, oh no, this is actually happening. But we have to pretend it's like a dystopian universe where we wear uh, Lisa Left Eye Lopez cargo pants, etc. <laughs> and like very steampunk, like metal shoulders. Yes. I know. I think almost this full outfit showed up in a TLC concert, but I can't be sure. <laughs> you made me queer. You made me queer. We'll be right back. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now back to more You Made Me Queer. You made me queer. And I'm a big Ghibli fan too. For me, my number one is Spirited Away. Oh, good. I, you know, I have a soft spot for a bathhouse, so. I <laughs> mean, I'm like more of a voyeur, like let's do the forest by the wolves watch, but. <laughs> perfect, perfect. And were you around the same age as the Final Fantasy, like 10, 11, 12? It was like basically the same time. So like I do more in the last of like blockbusters and like video stores. Yeah. So I love to go. I would go there for hours. I remember I used to get like $5 for allowance a week uh-huh. as a kid. Uh, and that was enough to either rent a video game or rent two films. And so I would interchange between like Final Fantasy games or Ghibli films. And I would also continually re rent and rewatch Princess Mononoke. And I remember being so terrified by like, the tree spirits, those little like green guys yeah. who were like naked all the time and running around and like have these like wobbly heads it used to terrify me. <laughs> uh, and it was not until I was an adult where I was like, why did they scare me so much? So like I, as an OG creep person mm-hmm. um, in, in my communities, we have these things called Managichi or like little people who are like little tiny people who play tricks on you. They were known to like tip your canoe pre-colonial times. But nowadays they're like very well known for stealing. They love shiny things. So if you have missing keys or something of that sort, it was like, it was the little people. 
So what you do is you put like tin foil or something shiny, yeah. uh, to like shiny things and like sweet things or jelly beans. Ooh. So I remember doing that. And the next day I was like, I couldn't find my keys for days or two days. And so I did that. Lo and behold, found my key on the floor, which I had searched previously before. So I was like, okay, like maybe I was also like seeing some of my like indigenous oral histories yes. also in all you know, these Japanese oral histories too. Whoa, that is so cool. So really, oh, first of all, I do want to go back for a sec. Are you saying leave sweets so they won't take your keys? Like you're sort of appeasing them? It's kind of like a, a peace offering. Ah, uh, yeah. Like here's some sweets. <laughs> you can go away for a bit and they'll give you back whatever they quote unquote stole from you. I love it. Just keep those, you got to have jelly beans around. So I have a huge jar ready to go and Costco sized tin foil. <laughs> <laughs> perfect, perfect. Yeah, but again, that really, I find that so fascinating the way kids' minds specifically can find something so, especially queer kids or, you know, indigo-queer, like you said, just people who are having to do a lot of decoding and understanding alone for themselves as children mm -hmm. can construct familiarity in in something so fantastic like that. Exactly. And like, again, like looking back, but now, like as a kid, I was like very well aware of like little people and like star people or aliens as we call them and like Wendigo and Roguru, which are other kind of figures. But we don't call them fantastical. Okay. We don't call them, they're not, they're not based on genre. Mm -hmm. And so I think like little, like little Josh also recognized that in both Final Fantasy VII and in the Ghibli films, like Spirited Away or Princess Mononoke or Howl's Moving Castle. And that those kind of, when it's like really based on, you know, indigenous to a different space such as Japan, that morality, it's also not, it's not like made as like mystical. Yeah. And I, that's what I loved about them. And so I still love about them. They're just like normal elements that you have you know, a jumping scarecrow, or that you have talking wolves, um, or that you have like, these spirits that are always around you. And so I, like, I also think I was attuned to that both as a queer person, because those would be like guiding figures, yeah. uh, as they are in those films, as well as like indigenous person. So I, sometimes I think I can't pull them apart anymore. Yeah. But both of those like medians and both of those texts, they just kind of like, I'm so happy I, I had them as a kid, because I didn't realize how desperately I needed them. 100%, right? And it, yeah, it's funny at the time you don't, I mean, looking back on it, we can we can speak to it this way. But at the time, it's like, oh, you're playing video games, or you're watching cartoons, like go do that, go get a job or go mow the lawn or like whatever adults around us might think with that. But it's like, mm -hmm. no, you don't understand. I'm kind of saving myself right now. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a chrysalis almost. <laughs> yeah, totally. Right. And we whip that ponytail straight out. <laughs> <laughs> Fully emerged. Yes. Um, like metapod to butterfree. No. <laughs> so was there something after? I mean, this is your chance to to really blame. Is there something post-Ghibli? That may be super gay <laughs> or super fat and queer. Yeah. Um, well, I would say that the next thing that came for me was like, okay, there's, there's a lot. But like, I, I, I won't speak on this, but like Digimon, I was obsessed with Ty. Okay. But like flash forward a little more. Um, I'm also a huge horror buff. I love horror films. Nice. I'm so excited for October. Now that I have my own house and I can decorate it, I bought, I just bought some animatronics. Yeah, oh very, my God. Very, like to put on the lawn? To like put on the patio for the kids from <laughs> trick-or-treating. So I'm like so excited for that. Uh, I'm sure it'll scare the hell out of my dog. Oh, but yes. I love A Nightmare on Elm Street. One of my favorite franchises. I love Freddy Krueger. I play him all the time in Dead by Daylight. And pretty queer. Very, very queer. Specifically, it gets more and more campy as you move into the different directorial debuts. Mm -hmm. Like he becomes like the Wicked Witch of the West. He's like in this kind of all these like Oz montages. But number two, 
And Nightmare on Elm Street 2 features the first like queer screen queen, Jessie. And there's like bathhouse scenes and there's like all of this like metaphor for penetration and HIV and AIDS, obviously. Um, But a lot of queer representation. I think it's so seminal for like one horror, um, but two for me as like also someone coming into my queerness because I always identified with the final girls. (laughs) Everything from like, Friday the 13th through the Halloween, like Laurie Strobe, love. And then Jesse came along and I yeah. was so attached, so, so attached to, to Jesse um, from that film. Because I you know I would sneak, I would stay up late to watch like Queer as Folk and like King on Showcase. Yes. But I remember like this film was like all of that plus like all of my like fantastical attributes of like fantasy and like speculative fiction and then horror. Yeah. And I got to combine them two, those two together. And so Jesse is kind of like a, I aspire to be the scream queen that Jesse was and is. Oh my God. Well, (laughs) I will say, so I have not seen that film almost embarrassingly. I've definitely read think pieces about how (laughs) that film is queer, but I'm such a scaredy cat that like with gore, so I'm worried I wouldn't be able to do it, but it's 80s gore. So it, can I do it? I would say also 80s gore was like intense. Yeah. This was like the 10 times like Evil Dead, you know, again, like Friday the 13th. And a lot of that gore was also inspired by um, prop artists who were like being, taking images. And this is what I think why I love horror so much. It's so subversive. And it's being images you don't want to see, which I think mm. I hate being like, I hate like body horror. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I can't remember his person. He works in The Walking Dead, Nico something. Um, but he has, there's this amazing series that's run by Eli Roth, History of Horror. Mm-hmm. And the prop designers and all those, all those people who are like behind the scenes working on the special effects at that time weren't animated. And talk about, they, well, they drew upon images of like the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. And they would bring that into horror. And even more specifically now with things like Hostel drawing upon like Afghanistan. So like horror to me is like, one of the most punk genres and most subversive genres. And then you combine like these images of like war and imperialism with also kind of, you know, the the AIDS, the AIDS epidemic and Mm -hmm. kind of thinking about penetration and then full, full communal loss of queer folks, specifically gay men, or also this terrible war in Vietnam. And you amalgamate that onto a film and you're just like, subsuming so much so like rightfully so like we should be squeamish of it but we should also for me horror makes us stare our kind of worst selves down and shatter and then rebuild it yes yes it's like exposure therapy very yeah i think so in in a way that's not making you like the clockwork orange like eyes pride open (laughs) that's right you have to like know your limit don't push yourself too far like for example i as a child accidentally on tbs they aired they didn't accidentally. They aired Helter Skelter on TBS. Uh-huh. I was unchaperoned on a Sunday afternoon at 2 p.m. <laughs> and I watched it in its entirety. And that was, that's beyond exposure therapy. That's like hand on the element. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was not a good time. But I maybe I could do it if I watch it during the day. Uh, I, you know, I have a, a nice treat nearby. Take some pauses, you know, if you need to. Yeah, okay. But I think like Nightmare on Elm Street too, like won't terrify you too much. It's very campy. Okay, it sounds great. But the, 
there's like fair, so I'm sure you've seen Alien, um, Sigourney Weaver, like the thing popping on the stomach. There was that's probably like the goriest scene um, in the film. But it's like the horror is more like lustful, I would say, between right. Freddie and the Scream Queen Jesse, which I find so interesting. I mean, it is, and it's overlaid all the time, sex and violence in a way where it's really interesting to separate them or not separate them. Exactly, and it's like one of the films where like. The ending isn't like tragic, huh. uh, as most horror films are, right? Like either no like, spoilers, Josh. No spoilers, but I'm just kidding. It's like a 40 year old movie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can you imagine? I can't believe you spoiled Nightmare on Street Two. So yeah, I was like really loved it, but yeah. I, I just love seeing like this high fem scream queen. Um, and so um, there's also talks that I was reading about. Uh, of some type of like remake or like documentary of it oh. and so like please Wes Craven do it um do it. oh sorry RIP RIP <laughs> I meant uh what is his name uh when he plays Freddy Krueger who is still around oh. Robert Englund that's it Robert Englund big fan of you made me queer so Robert we know you're listening um so <laughs> get, get to work on the film you have our full support I will back you up I'll blurb it let's go that yeah. sounds great throw under the bus Hmm, anything else? I mean, like, I wrote about this in Johnny, but, like, Neopets was, like, hella queer to me. Yes. Like, it was a free online game where you had this pet, and you could, like, paint them and, like, put them up into all these outfits, but it cost so much money. It was basically, like, a child casino, because every day you go <laughs> yeah. on and, like, spin this wheel and get more points. So I, I talk about this a bit in, in my book, Johnny Appleseed, but mm-hmm. I'll just give a little bit of behind-the-scenes. So I would also play this, and I was... Again, kind of the premise of my book, but like I was a notorious adolescent catfisher. Um, <laughs> in that, like, those are like the days of like MSN and AOL. Oh, yeah. And so I would go into Neopets and like moonlight as this like older girl um, and kind of like flirt and be flirty, I, I guess, like be flirty and then also um, like affirm my own queerness through the kind of performance um, of a Neopet who's <laughs> this like. 13, 14 year old girl and talk to boys. And that to me was uh, an extreme highlight uh, of my queer coming into myself. (laughs) That's, I mean, people listening who maybe are not, you don't have to be a gamer, but if you're not really sort of, you haven't used tech a lot or whatever, blah, blah, blah. This might sound like we're blowing this out of proportion, but having that ability to build and like live through an avatar it sounds really weird, but I think it's very common. Like I did so much of my queer exploration through avatars and video games, yeah. but there was also this really, really proto, it wasn't Neopets. It was so low budge, but you were like, it was like fantasy Lord of the Rings, but you were animals. Oh, And so I remember being some kind of like bunny in the, it's like a Lord of the Rings village, but I was also like out and pr- this is like as a 12 year old, my bunny <laughs> character was like out and proud. I love that. Yeah. So I was like, I, a thief, but also like a gay thief. Don't forget. <laughs> a woodlands bunny gay thief. Yeah. hundred percent. And something about that felt very like I got to, I don't know, explore with, I mean, not that I was going to grow up and be a gay thief bunny, although I do have the figure for it. <laughs> But honestly, I mean, something about that felt liberating. Well, I think that's also like the beauty of video games. Like we started this conversation thinking about like highbrow and capital L literature and capital A art. Mm-hmm. And like video games are like very low, low brow, right? Yeah. And also seems like waste of time or like there's better things to be done. But to me, they and I see this now specifically with youth who are like even more inundated with the virtual and you know, the online and computers and technology. 
But like I owe so much of who I am, both as a queer person, as an indigenous person, as a writer, and as a thinker, as an artist, to video games. Mm-hmm. Because one, like as a, a child, they this the act of play and the act of avatars allows you it's very much the basics of theater uh it's like put the mask on right and you know like do the kind of romeo and juliet go to the ball and you can kind of be anyone and do anything in a way that is unfetters the shackles of what you're inundated with specifically as a kid and specifically for me as a kid in the 90s uh is that you cannot be this Mm -hmm. and so this was a, a, a hinterland of allowance to be whoever you wanted to be and it really kind of fostered and embraced and celebrated and enhanced my queerness because I was able to be like pull the jack out of the body that is Joshua Whitehead and plug it into this meal pet or plug it into this bunny who's a thief or plug it into Cloud Strife, right? And for me, it was like so it's disembodying to like do that, but it's also mm-hmm. so embodying, right? Yeah. Um, and I also just like throughout COVID found myself doing very similar things, like. I was I was I was joking on Instagram and to my friends that I was like regressing to teenagehood <laughs> and childhood, like living in my basement with cups and bowls everywhere. <laughs> but again, it was like video games that gave me a stasis to move yeah. to the extreme isolation of early COVID, in that I didn't have to live in this world that is continually damning, continually destructive, and continually hurtful. Instead, I could move into a world in which I was flourishing but also a world in which I had the ability to succeed fully and wholly. And I couldn't be, I couldn't be, I denied that. And I think to me, that is a semblance of why I would say video games are like the queerest element that we have. 100%. And I would add to that as well, as a child, a strangely wholly unchaperoned place from adults, not only because like, you know, you're playing alone, probably like in a basement or like some kind of space out of the way, but also because of this sort of tech generational barrier. Mm -hmm. Uh, As a kid, you learned that language and people around you didn't know how to process it. Often like your parents or guardians were like, I don't know what you're doing, but just like, you're not getting into trouble. So fine, like stay in the basement. Exactly. Yeah. And so then as a kid, you're like, oh my God, I get I get, like you said, I get to go put to this brothel and put on this dress and I'm all by myself. It's it's the kind of agency that's very rare as a child. Oh, for sure. Like specifically for like our times, I would say, like my parents would be like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, I'm just like, like brushing my pet Aisha and Neil Pets who I just bought this like, <laughs> They're like what? very special like pirate costume for. They're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, but it sounds like you're having fun. So go ahead and do it. <laughs> So you can like lace it in the coating, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, it must be. It's like me when people talk about, well, like Ariana Grande in Fortnite. I'm like, mm, I don't know what you're talking about, but you seem happy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although now I want to know, actually, you've given me quite a lot of homework to do after this. So I will watch things and I will play things. And since we are running out of time... I'm going to have to let you go. But before I do, would you like to play a game? Sure, let's play. So this game is called Queer, Queerer, Queerist. I'm going to give you three things. You are going to put them in order from least queer to most queer and tell me why. Okay, sounds fun. Great. Okay, let's do it. Thing number one, Shelley Duvall's outfit in the final chapter of The Shining. Okay. Now, you're a horror movie person, so have you seen <laughs> The Shining? I have. I'm going to drop a visual reference in the chat just in case you can't picture this outfit. So we've got a beige turtleneck 
over top of it is sort of like a, a plaid farmer's button up. And then she has brown corduroy overalls over top of that. That's not your picture, is it? It's, it's signed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's not my picture. Could you imagine? Oh, I was like, oh my God, Trevor. <laughs> I'm so jealous. You met Shelley Duvall. <laughs> I would be, you'd, I can't even, we don't have time to talk about my Shelley Duvall obsession. <laughs> She's special. Okay, so that's thing number one. Okay. Thing number two Picture this uh, continental breakfast at a hotel, and we have specifically the Belgian waffle station. Okay. Which, in case you've never encountered one of these, uh, your loss, it's like a little Belgian waffle machine, and next to it are just a bunch of plastic cups of batter. Mm, okay. Yeah. I, I see it. Yeah. Pre portioned batter. You've got it. You've got it. Thing number three giant novelty checks such as the kind scene held by lottery winners or presented by Ed McMahon in front of your house. <laughs> <laughs> okay, giant novelty checks. Yeah, so recap, Shelley Duvall's outfit in the final act of The Shining, the Belgian waffle station at a continental breakfast, and giant novelty checks, least queer to most queer, and why? Okay, I'm going to begin with least queer, which I'm going to say is giant novelty checks. <laughs> okay. Because I don't feel like there was a whole lot of like, queer representation in game shows. I love game shows. Okay. So nowadays there is, but we just had RuPaul and Family Feud, right? <laughs> that's true. So I would say that's the least queer for me, although I would love to have a giant novelty check. Oh my God. Semi-queer it would be the Continental Breakfast at the Belgian Waffle Machine, because like, you know, you know, it's like that's after a grinder hookup, like meet you at the Belgian waffle machine in the morning. <laughs> or, <laughs> or like, can I just pour this for you so you can go? Uh, it's also giving like very white lotus vibes. And I, I like that. So. Oh, yes, totally, totally. <laughs> the walk of shame to the Belgian <laughs> waffle machine. <laughs> exactly. I couldn't call it the queer, so I think it's a good either end space or meat space yeah. um, for the air of grinder. But I think that's a dead thing now with COVID. I don't know if we'll ever have buffets again, right? I think you're right. Um, so I have to like, I have to give like the queerest to Shelley Duvall's outfit. If only, what I love the Shining, I love Shelley. She's get, like this, like Louisville Slugger is like <laughs> reminiscent of like lemonade to me. Yes. But also like, she's giving me like high queer energy in like 2021 um, that I feel like so many queer folks are like dressing in Carhartt <laughs> and like dressing as like, Kind of like very straight, like straight, and like straight folks like Harry Styles mm -hmm. and quote unquote Sean Mendez are like very <laughs> well, like, quote unquote because he's not straight or <laughs> I, I will leave that to the decision of Sean. That's fine. Um, hey, Sean. It's giving share, you know. Um so I would say like this is like the very queer aesthetic that I see, both for um cisgender and queer folks and male and female and everyone in between it's like we're all kind of dressing in this like regressive but kind of sexy kind of hot um very workwear and i, I like it like duckies carhartt all that yeah you're totally right it's this sort of utilitarian i feel like i could see anyone in sort of the the broad queer acronym spectrum wearing this outfit and i'd be like oh i'd be like okay so i'm gonna start cruising <laughs> what's your phone number please put down the bat because i'm gentle but would you like to get a call you know like it might be fun just like write the number on the bat with a sticker that you could be you could remove because i don't know the sentimental value of the bat to you but oh my god yeah and then as they're waving it threateningly you're just like four one six reading up the side and then you run okay so i'm going to recap your answer so you said least queer checks giant novelty yeah yes giant novelty checks number two was the Bel walk of shame to the belgian waffle station 
Very, very good. And then the final one was Shelly Duvall in her workwear. I'm here for it. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So this is a very, you are an academic. This is an academic test. So let me refer to my rubric, <laughs> my grading rubric. Yes, yes, yes. A plus gold star. Perfect. I'll wait for my next grant. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You, yeah, you can now submit this. The queer, queer, course results. Um, are what Canada Council is looking for. Okay, so adding to CV right <laughs> now. Right. <laughs> Certificates in the mail. Uh, so congratulations, you win. You are, in fact, a queer person. It's all true. Oh, thank you. I've, 32 <laughs> years it took me to figure this out. <laughs> well, finally, this you've, you've, your time is well spent on this podcast. So before I let you go, Josh, and I really don't want to, is there anything you would like to plug? I would say, so stay tuned uh, for folks who are fans of my work, uh, Full Metal and DigiQueer, a book of poetry, Johnny Appleseed, my novel, um, I edited anthology, Love After the End, an anthology of DigiQueer and Two-Spirit Speculative Fiction. And for all my queer folks who like barely got through the pandemic with multiple mental ruptures, I have a book coming on the spring called Making Love with the Land. It's about queerness, indigeneity, and mental health. Um, and hopefully, COVID allowing, I can come and tour and see all you folks in your cities. Yes, that sounds perfect. Yes, do all of that. You can find all of those books pretty much everywhere because Josh is a superstar. And those books are out and about, or you can find them at your local library, whatever you want to do. And they're they're fantastic. And there's more to look forward to. So... And what about uh, Insta? Any handles we want to share? Oh, yeah. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at jwhitehead204. Everyone asks why the number. It's my area code for Manitoba. So <laughs> Perfect. Represent. Uh, so thank you so much because I, uh, as you can tell from my couch for it, was pr pretty queer and weird when this conversation started. <laughs> and you, Joshua Whitehead, have made me queerer than ever. <laughs> well, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're doing important work. Um, so go put that VR headset on and, and do whatever freaky stuff it is you do. <laughs> I'll try to walk into a wall. Tell Ariana I say hi. <laughs> yeah. Will do, will do. <laughs> okay, and that is our show. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to check out This Week Made Me Queer on YouTube. You Made Me Queer TV. You can find it. It's there for you and it's free. As always, I want to hear from you. I really do. So email me at youmademequeer at gmail.com with anything. Share your queer awakening, what made me queer story, and I may read it on the show. Or just send me some tripe and I might read that too. Because this is a, essentially almost a public forum that I do all the work for. Rate, review, and subscribe. You Made Me Queer. It helps us get popular and popularity is truly all that matters if squid game taught me one thing and that's it cue credits you made me queers created produced and edited by me trevor campbell our theme song is by critty for more of our music check out lavenderbruisers.bandcamp.com our website is youmademequeer.com our instagram and twitter handles are at you made me queer new episodes of you made me queer come out every other thursday and we're brought to you by the sonar network and from the bottom of my big bent heart thank you for listening until next time, remember, we're here, we're queer, and it's your fault. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.